Have you ever felt just completely hopeless? Like life has just uh, conspired against you and there's uh, no way that you're going to make it. Well, you might suspect that if you felt that way and you came to church, the uh, pastor might say something to the effect of turn to God. And if that is indeed what you're thinking, you won't be disappointed today. But there's a little bit more depth that we want to go into when we talk about turning to God. We're going to focus today on a, uh, a guy in the book of Genesis by the name of Abram. His name becomes uh, Abraham later, um, but uh, we are introduced to him in Genesis chapter 11, beginning in uh, verse 27. Let me give you a little bit of background about Abram. Uh, when he came on the scene and his, his dad, Terah, uh, is the first person we'll be introduced to, um, when he came on the scene, there was this uh, recent event in world history called the Tower of Babel. And there was a, a tyrant by the name of Nimrod. What a great name. A tyrant by the name of Nimrod who had uh, him and his associates had gathered all the people together and they said, let's build this great thing. Let's build this great monument, a tower up to the heavens and uh, we'll make ourselves very famous. Well, in doing so, by bringing all of the people together and having them all uh, coalesce to form this one project, um, what actually happened was people's freedoms were stripped away. And people became nothing more than brickmakers for the great project. In fact, people's value was not in the fact that they were made in the very image of God, not in the fact that they are, uh, have a, a sanctity about their own life, a holiness uh, because they're created by God, but rather they became nothing more than the value that they could contribute to the project. And we see in Genesis 11 uh, an understanding that uh, people were actually, had begun to become slaves as they were gathered together and taught essentially that there's no need for God. We all just have to follow this great hunter by the name of Nimrod. And so this idea that began to formulate there, really throughout all of Scripture, we see it repeated time and time again in the, uh, with the term Babylon. Everywhere where there's a Babylon, there's a tyrant involved. All the way through the book at the very end of the Bible, Revelation, we find Babylon there as well. And so, God decided to do something about this mass project, and we know what he did. We know that he confused the languages, but we really need to understand the effect of that. When people were not able to communicate with one another, they began to spread out, as God had intended, as God had instructed Noah to spread out into all the earth and to fill the earth. And so you'd have different tribes with different specialties. Some were musicians, and, and some were artisans, and some were uh, metallurgists, and whatever else. Instead of everyone simply coming together to make bricks, everyone was to specialize in how God had designed them. 
This was God's plan. And so by confusing the languages, things went back to the way that God had designed them to be. And so God destroyed the centralized power of the Tower of Babel, and he delivered the people from the oppression, from the slavery, from the dehumanization that they were a part of. Well, in the midst of that, there's a guy not too far away by the name of Terah. And Terah becomes, he is the father of Abram. So in Genesis chapter 11, if you haven't found the place already, I invite you to turn there. Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, this is what we see. And we see a little bit of a family tree of Terah and his family. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. He had three sons. And Haran became the father of Lot. Now there's going to be more grandkids for Terah. Why is Lot sort of singled out? Well, Lot will be a central figure in the chapters to come, in the narrative to come. And we're going to see a a lot more of Lot. And so uh, moving on to verse 28. And Haran died. One of Terah's kids, one of his sons died. Haran died in the presence of Terah his father in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And then we read in verse 29, Abram and Nahor, the two other remaining sons, took wives for themselves. The wife of Abram, excuse me, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran. Who's Haran? The father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. So we learn a little bit more about Haran, who's dead by this point. We can only safely assume that Haran had these children before he died. And so he had these three kids. Milcah was his daughter. Well, Haran's brother married his daughter. Nahor married his own niece. And you might say, that doesn't sound appropriate. Well, Um, probably not. I would not suggest that these days. But that's what actually happened. And then we read this in chapter 11, verse 30. And Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now, what's the big deal about this? Well, this is the big deal. In fact, for the next 11 chapters in Genesis, this is the unresolved problem that Abram is going to have to deal with, that God himself is going to have to deal with. Why is she barren? No idea. We're not told. All we're left with is the cold, hard truth. She was barren. Had no kids. What does that mean in that day? And that day, that meant that, in all likelihood, Abram and Sarai would soon be lost to history. They'd have no no progeny. They'd they'd have no descendants, no heirs. All of the sheep and the cattle and, and the land that they might own, that they might acquire over their life, be given to someone else, someone not a part of their own family. And so Abram and Sarai would be nothing more than a footnote in history unless somehow God intervened. 
You know, life is like that sometimes, that we, we try to massage hard truths, we try to nuance hard truths. Someone comes along and tries to give us a, a different perspective about something that's really, really bad in our lives that causes us to have no hope, causes us to feel like we're completely helpless, and, and we can appreciate all of the nuances and the massaging and the, and, and, the, and the tender mercies. But the reality, sometimes life is simply the cold, hard facts. No kids. No kids. And this was a devastating predicament for Abram and Sarai. Sometimes life is like that. Well, let's see what happens. In verse 31, here's what we read. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. These four, they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to go to the land of Canaan. And they came as far as Haran and settled there. Now, we don't know where this, uh, this, this Canaan is or this Haran is unless we've studied it. I mean, we're not from this area. We're from West Texas. Can you imagine someone coming to West Texas and they're trying to get directions how to, how to get around? And someone says, well, okay, you need to start at, at Brownfield. And then you're going to head north of there and, and go to a level land. And then you'll go to a, a little field. And you hang a right, and uh, you'll, you'll make your way perhaps up to a plain view and keep on going, and, and then you'll see more, okay? And p- people are like, what, what in the world is going on here? You know, who's on first? Yeah, I don't know, third base. So, you know, no one knows what's going on. So where's this Canaan? Where's this Haran? Let's get some idea of what's happening here. Well, so Terah is going to take a journey. He wants to go to Canaan, but he doesn't make it. And so here's an image of exactly where they started and where they were supposed to end up. A, a, a journey of, I'm going to guess, about 1,200 miles or so on foot or on camel or on horse or on mule or on whatever. But it's not going to be an easy journey. And so they're starting in modern day around, the, around Kuwait, southern Iraq. And they're traveling, and, and you might think, well, what? You know, if the finish line is uh, due west, why, why not just make a straight shot right there, due west? Well, desert. They prefer not to die. So they decided they're going to follow the water. So they go up the Euphrates River, and they make it, oh, about 600 miles or so. They make it to the place where it says pit stop. There's a little word there. It says Haran. That's how far they get. Now, why was Terah going to take this journey? No clue. Why did he stop halfway there? No clue. You might say, well, Pastor, you don't have a clue about many things. Well, you'd be amazed at how much I don't know. It's, it's, it's incredible. But they stopped about halfway, and they made their home in this new place. And we read in verse 32, And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Things just went from bad to worse for Abram and Sarai. I mean, they're the new guy in town, right? He's the new guy in town. His dad is dead. 
They have no kids. His wife is barren. And this nephew keeps hanging around. You know, so what are we going to do about all this? Well, sometimes that is when God shows up. Sometimes when you're at the end of your rope, that's when God shows up. Because otherwise, I mean, if Abram and Sarai are going to have a future, something has to happen. Something new has to happen. There needs to be a healing. There needs to be a blessing. There needs to be another wife coming along. Something has to change the situation for Abram. Things are pretty hopeless. And so when things are bad, look to God. And that's when God will direct you. And so what we see next is that God speaks to Abram. The last time God spoke, if I'm not mistaken, before this, was ten generations before. To our knowledge, God has seemingly been silent for ten generations, but now God speaks to Abram. And the message is essentially this. Abram, I want you to move toward the future that I have for you. Move toward the future that I have planned for you. You know, a lot of believers never move. A lot of believers just feel like, well, I am who I am. I'm at where I'm at. I guess this is just my lot in life. Nothing's ever going to change. And they can't conceive that God may have more in store for them. And the reason why many people never move in life is because, I, I believe, it's because they never figure out who they are. They never figure out who they are. You see, if you figure out who God has designed you to be, the rest is easy. You're able to go that direction. But a lot of people never figure out who God has really designed them to be. So God has a message for Abram. It consists of two parts, essentially. There's instructions and a promise. Instructions and a promise. In that order, by the way. Verse 1, we see the instructions. And Yahweh, that's the Lord, Yahweh said to Abram, Go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. The Lord essentially says to Abram, Complete the journey your dad began. Complete the journey. There's unfinished business. You have to complete the journey. And then we read in verses 2 and 3 this incredible promise, really more than one promise in this. The Lord says, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
you think about these, these verses here. Think about what God is saying here from, Ad, from Abram's perspective. God says, I will make you a great nation. Undoubtedly, Abram's saying, how? I'm childless. How am I going to be a great nation? God says, I will bless you. How? I'm a stranger in a strange land. God says, I will make your name great. How? No one in Canaan knows me. How's my name going to be great? God says, and you shall be a blessing. How? Who can I bless? I'm not even blessed myself. How can I give away a blessing to others that I don't even have? And God says, I will bless those who bless you. Why would anyone bless me? and And the one who curses you, I will curse, God says. Why would anyone curse me? And then the Lord says, And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How? That's a pretty tall order, God. That's a lot of promises you're making there, God. How are you going to do that? With little old me and my childless wife and my nephew. How are you going to do it? I want you to understand something that Abram teaches us. When God instructs you, you need to respond. Abram did. When God instructs you, you need to respond. Let's see what Abram did in verse 4. So, Abram went forth as Yahweh had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Verse 5, So Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go forth to the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Verse 6. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Abram had some neighbors. So here's Abram's journey. He starts there in, in Haran. And he makes his way again following the water all the way down to modern-day Israel, to the middle of modern-day Israel, to Shechem and to Bethel. Verse 7, Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. So he, Abram, built an altar there to Yahweh who had appeared to him. This altar is probably either a large stone or a bunch of stones formed in a certain formation. But he he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verses 8 and 9. Then he, Abram, proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. 
And there he built an altar to Yahweh and called upon the name of Yahweh. And Abraham journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. He continued south there in the land of Canaan. Now, this is how Abram responded to God's instruction. And what I want you to know is this. You don't know how God will shape your future. I mean, at this point in Abram's life, Abram didn't know how God was going to keep all of those promises. That's a pretty good list. That's a lot for God to do. And Abram didn't know how God would keep all of those promises. But here's what we read from the New Testament about Abram. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abram, Abraham, as he was later called, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Listen to me. Don't fail to trust God just because you want details. God is not obligated to give you details of what he's going to do. He calls you today to trust. And he says to you, I will handle the details. You know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians even, try to bargain with God. Okay, God, I know you want me to do this. But tell me what you're going to do first, and then I'll decide whether to obey you or not. It's not the way it works. That's not the economy of God's kingdom. God doesn't do things according to your plan. He does things according to his plan. And you have a choice. Obey him or not. Do what he says or don't. Your choice. Are you going to do what he says? In time, he will reveal his plan to you. This idea of, well, God, you tell me what what you're going to do, and then I'll decide whether to obey. That's not trust, is it? That's not trusting God. You see, when you and I don't obey God, it shows that we don't trust Him. It shows that we don't trust His character. We don't trust His his intent. We don't trust that He knows best and He will do best for us. Have you ever been in this situation where, where if you're a dad, I hope that you've done this before, where you go to the pool with your, your kids, you've got that toddler there, and you're in the pool, and you say to that toddler, jump in. Come on. Daddy will catch you. And what does that toddler do? That, that toddler, what's wrong? It's scary. I can't swim. But the toddler jumps. Why? The toddler trusts his father. So Christian, why don't don't you obey God? If God's calling you to go a certain direction, if God is calling you to do something, why don't you trust him? He's your heavenly father. Are you afraid that he's going to drop you? 
If you and I, being evil, give good gifts to our kids, Jesus said, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to us? Or is it that we, we don't really believe that God will keep all of His promises? Oh God, I know what you said in your word, but... Oh God, I know what you're telling me, but... And as soon as we throw that in there, we show that we don't trust. I want to show you exactly how trustworthy God is. God made a lot of big promises to Abram in verses 2 and 3, right? Let me show you what God did. And he kept every single one of those promises. I will make you a great nation. How? How? I will give you a child whose descendants will become the nation of Israel. God says, I will bless you. How? I will give you many descendants, more than the stars in the sky, and I will grant you great success in life. God says, I will make your name great. How? I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you famous, Abram. By the way, you go back a chapter, back to the Tower of Babel, and listen to what those people said in verse 4 of chapter 11, where they said, let's build this great tower, and we'll make a name for ourselves. Now God says, Abram, I will make a name for you. I mean, even to this day, 4,000 years later, Abraham is seen as the spiritual father of over 2 billion people. Not bad for a guy who he and his wife were childless, right? How did that happen? Because God made a promise. And God fulfills his promises. And God says to Abram, So you shall be a blessing. How's that going to happen? Because people will say one day, May God do well for you like he did for Abraham. That's still a blessing to this day. The blessing given to Abraham, which is the ancient nation of Israel, that will become a blessing for many others. And it was through Israel that God would send the Savior of the world. God said to Abram, And I will bless those who bless you. How? God will extend his goodwill to those who show goodwill to Abram. You see, the attitude that God takes toward others depends on their attitude toward Abram. And then again, it was through Abram's descendants that the Son of God came to this earth. And God says, and the one who curses you, I will curse. How? God will harm anyone who harms Abram. We even see that in our day, in recent history. Not too many decades ago, there was a nation that tried to wipe out 
all of the Jews in Europe. Six million Jews died in the Holocaust. And part of the punishment for that nation was that that nation no longer was a nation, but was ruled by four other nations for an entire generation. God punished that nation for harming his chosen people. And God says to Abraham, And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. How? How is that going to happen? How can this man with the wife and a nephew and the wife has no child, how will all the families of the earth be blessed through him? We read about it in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. How did God do it? He did it by giving Abram a son. A son from his own flesh. And that son became a great nation of Israel. And Israel produced the Savior to the world by which you and I, as Gentiles, living out in the south plains of West Texas, would be justified by faith. God is still keeping his promises. God is still keeping his promise to Abraham in blessing all the nations of the earth through Abraham's descendant, Jesus Christ. You see, according to Scripture, the gospel will be preached to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And although not every person will receive the gospel, someone from every people will. And so in Abram, through Christ, every family will be blessed through the preaching of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It is the good news that God became flesh in Jesus Christ. And Jesus never sinned, but yet he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the grave to make us justified before God, make us right before God, and to give us eternal life. Jesus ascended to heaven, and he will return. That is the good news. The good news is that if you and I will trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, we will be saved. We need to recognize who Jesus is as the eternal Son of God become man. And we need to recognize what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. We need to turn from our sinful ways and turn to God and trust in Christ alone, have faith in him alone for our salvation. 